0: It's so awesome. See, awesome to see all of you here this morning. We just want to get right started in worship. him this morning. And that we know that there's nothing that can stand against you. That you are for us. And I pray that you would help us to believe it every day in everything that we do. Know that you are here to give us everything that we need to live for you. And I just pray that we would believe it this morning. That we would open our hearts and our minds and everything and focus on you and who you are all that you've done and all that you have for us. We just pray this in your name. Amen. You could please have a seat.
1: And with his fist Clearly I don't see myself upon that list She said, Where do you wanna go? How much you wanna risk?
2: love line in that song said, I just want something I can turn to, Uh, something like this, and and the this that they're wanting, at least they had some realism to it, it wasn't like a Superman thing, it wasn't, uh, wow, this is going to get hard, Uh, it wasn't some weird expectation, they just want something solid, something that they know is going to be there which is at least a great expectation, you would think, man, that's a good goal. I, would, I bet everybody has that kind of goal, except it gets complicated when you have this many people in a room and not really sure if everybody has that same goal of wanting to end up with something solid. And it's for a lot of different reasons. If you think about who's here, we, we, have, um, we have some single people in the room who shouldn't be thinking about marriage right now. Like, so the idea of wanting to pursue something solid, it's not there. Others, others who are single have decided they want to remain that way. They have no desire to get married. Still others have, um, have that desire, but they're waiting patiently, and some others are not so patient about it. And maybe getting something solid that they can turn to starts becoming less and less important for them. There are married couples here who've been married for a while. That your, your marriage is on cruise control. And you've started to kind of realize that. And the work that it would take to get back to something solid, you're not, you're not sure if that's what you want to do. And still others, you've been working hard at your marriage. And you feel like, man, there's more work to do. I have, I have more to throw in here. Others are like, hey, I, I'll do the hard work. This, I'll use this series as a tweak, and you're kind of putting your shoulder in. Still others, you've, you've been through a divorce. And the guilt and anger of that still sits with you, and if, if you're honest, really, that's behind you, and really what you would like to see happen is to have a successful relationship ahead. And you're trying to figure that out, and there are others that you're experiencing a low right now. You're not really sure it could go much lower than where you're at. And you haven't decided if your relationship is worth fighting for. Like if, you're, if you want to come back and have something solid from this or not, you're, you're not even convinced at this point. How, how, do you, how do you talk to a group that's so diverse like that? Uh, the, the way I do it is I don't do it alone. I partner up. Every weekend I walk up on this stage, I've asked the Holy Spirit to go ahead of me to find a way to take whatever feeble words or ideas that I might be able to present to you and to bend it to your heart so that you hear what you need to hear when you need to hear it. I'm actually convinced that the Scripture's are a lot like that as well. It's why it's so important that you find yourself reading the text, being engaged in that. There are parts of the scripture where it's really clear. God says, this is black and white. But there's a whole other places, I think the majority, where God presents a truth, an idea that's right. It's God's idea to have marriage. And here's his three keys for how marriage could work. And then you look, and something's missing. Where's the list? Where's the list to tell me exactly how to do this? Our culture loves that. And I think it's one of the reasons that God didn't provide it, because we would get in love with the list. We would follow the list, we would check the boxes off, and we would expect a certain outcome and what God wanted instead was to partner up with you. He wanted to be able to step into your life and to speak into your heart and into your soul and say, this is what I want you to pay attention to. I'm gonna supply direction. I'm gonna supply wisdom. I'm gonna suggest to you the next step that you have to take or the adjustment that you need to make. And this morning... I'm about to share some really practical stuff with you. And my biggest fear is that you'll hear a list. And that you'll try the list. And in the process of all of that, you'll miss out on the most important thing that you need in order to have successful relationships. The Spirit of God who directs and shapes your heart. I'm going to give you some practical stuff. But before we get into that, I, want to, I just want to stop and pray and ask that we get the right things first. So let's pray with me, if you would. God, you've, um, you've got some truths about relationships. We're talking about marriage, but uh, these truths happen to impact a lot of the relationships that we have. And I just ask as we start to get some practical things on the table, that what people would not be enamored about is the practical steps that they can take, but that they can take those in partnership with you, that they can listen to you as they move. Because despite all the stories I was able to list, God, there's I still didn't touch it in this room. But you know them. You know the stories, you know the people, you know what they're up against. You know the choices that they're going to have to make. And so I just ask that you would create a sensitivity of spirit this morning. That as we talk about some practical stuff, that your spirit will press on their heart when they hear this thing. That's what you need to touch. That's what you need to work on. But I want you to do it this way. This is what I need you to pay attention to. This is what I've been talking to you about and you've been ignoring. God, I ask that your spirit would do that for us here this morning and that we would walk away feeling a sense of partnership. Not that we're all alone, just struggling through this, but that you're in this with us as well. We ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The last two weeks, we've been talking um, kind of big picture. And uh, we said, week one, uh, we're going to look at um, what God had in mind. He created two equals that he expects to treat each other that way. But he didn't make them the same, he made them different and he made them interdependent upon each other. It was part of God's plan and in marriage, God joins them together with the goal that they would experience a sense of unity and oneness. And then we said, listen, God has keys for allowing that to happen and we found them and we're like, it's mutual submission. It's sacrificial love, it's respect. You do those things, and you end up experiencing the kind of unity and oneness that God has in mind. Why don't we? Because we want what we want, and we will quarrel to get it. And when we quarrel, we will invite some other things into our relationships, stuff that brings destruction. And so, last week we talked about how we sometimes embrace criticism and defensiveness where we, where we deal with contempt and stonewalling with each other. And we choose those things that mess with our relationships. I don't, I don't know if you were here or not, but last week we put up a big wall on the, yeah, right there. That uh, on the other side was a group of white walkers that intended to cross that and destroy the kingdom. And all they had to do was keep the door shut and we throw the door open and invite this kind of stuff in. What I didn't tell you was it on this wall, behind this wall, is a group of motley guys who guard that wall. A fun, fun group right there, right? They're called the Night's Watch. And in order to take the role of Night's Watch, which is to stand on that wall and to guard Westeros from all of the evil that would come against it, they take a vow. And uh, I'm going to put the vow up on the screen. I don't know if you can read it or not because it's pretty small, but let me just tell you that when you take this vow, basically you're giving up your whole life to do that job. Everything, everything else is of lesser importance. And you're going to give yourself to the protection of that kingdom, standing on that wall and defending from what's wrong. It made me think, that, that happens just a little bit, I think maybe even a lot. When in a marriage ceremony, you stand with somebody and you make a vow, that they're going to be utterly important to you and the stuff that rolls against you, right, sickness, health, all of that kind of stuff, is not going to detract you from making that person your priority. It's not going to, it's not going to, Diminish your ability to defend them. So I started wondering what it would look like if you defended your relationship like the night watch defends that wall. What, what if you could build some defenses in that when stuff came up against you, it wouldn't break you. It wouldn't destroy you. What if you could reinforce The things that God said were important in the first place. I just want to do this real quick. Um, The three things that we're trying to find a way to reinforce, to to say, listen, I'm going to do this and defend my relationship. You're going to need mutual submission. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. All three of these things are things that both of us need to do in the relationship. I want to find a way to strengthen mutual submission. I want to find a way to strengthen sacrificial love. You're going to find it's called out in Ephesians. It's called out that we're supposed to love. Both genders have this responsibility. What if I could find a way to strengthen respect? What if I could do that? It's called out in Ephesians 2. If you found a way to do that, you could defend your relationship. Here's, um, Here's what researchers have found. They have found that all couples fight. All of them. And they sometimes have really big arguments too. They've also found that almost all couples have something from the exterior that comes into the relationship that can disrupt or harm that relationship. Um, it could be something that happens with a family and kind of affects you. It could be stuff that happens at work. It could be a life circumstance that happens to you that you weren't expecting coming, but it rolls into your relationship and it has the ability to harm you. And what researchers have found is that because this happens to everybody, they started noticing something odd. After 35 years of research, And looking at all these things, they started to notice that there were some couples who, when this stuff started happening, when the conflict started coming in, when that thing that could destroy and did destroy other relationships happened, that for those couples, it was a speed bump. Yeah, things slowed down, you got jostled a little bit, but after it was over, you started picking speed back up and you took off again. It didn't destroy the relationship. And they started asking, what's going on? What's going on in these couples' lives that allow them to run into stuff that destroys other people, but doesn't them? I love this. These are, these are not Christian researchers. But what they found was that these couples who found a way to just allow these things to be speed bumps instead of destruction were actually doing things in their relationship that line up with God, God's keys for having a strong marriage. Submission, love, respect. They had found a way to grow those before they needed it. So this morning, that's what I want to do. I, I want to say, listen, we, we already know what he wants. We know the keys, So let's put some meat on the bones. Let's start to figure out how we can do this. What does it take for us to do this? And I'm going to steal from a bunch of research that's been done, and I hope you'll start to see how it lines up with God's idea for making unity and oneness work. Uh, The first idea I want to go with is um, something that the researchers have called a love map. Uh, I, I first... I first printed this map out on my computer, and then I thought to myself, does anybody use paper maps anymore, right? And then, and then something else I remember that made me just laugh. Uh, Josh Rager, who's running our uh, PowerPoint right now, once told me that if you ever saw somebody he was dating use a paper map, that was a deal breaker. He was like, no, something's wrong with that person. They've got a map on their phone. So I realized, okay, maybe that's not the most helpful thing. And I realized I had this topographical map of Israel, and I think this does a really good job of helping you understand what the researchers have found. They found that couples who have a love map of each other understand how to navigate. That's what a map does. You go from point A to point B, and you're finding the best way to do that. You're avoiding the difficulties. Oh, there's a mountain range here. You don't want to go up there if you don't have to, because that's going to be hard. And you learn that and you make a map, you know what's going on. Uh, my wife grew up in a very conservative church that used guilt and shame as a means of getting what they wanted from people who attended. And she heard it a lot growing up, and the one they used on her quite a bit was everything that she was doing, that they wanted her to change, so that they could do it our way, sort of thing. They would call her selfish. You're just being selfish, you're just being selfish, you're just being selfish. And that has, um, that has been under my wife's skin since I've met her. And um, what, what I realized, what, it's one of these mountain places. If I want to hurt her in a conversation, I just have to tell her she's selfish. And it pulls up all of this bad stuff that she had in her past, and it's a wound that she can't get away from. My wife is still selfish sometimes. I say it in a different way. I talk about it in a different way. Why? Because I've got a map, and I know the backstory. And because I know the backstory, I'm careful. A map like this understands how somebody was raised, how that influenced and shaped them, how you travel this way because of that. You understand their personality. It's on here. You understand their pet peeves. And you know, oh, that really irritates them. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And you're careful because what you want to do is navigate that relationship really well. In order for you to pull that off, some of you may have figured out that's going to require a lot of communication. And some of you are terrible at that. Right? It's mostly guys. It's not all guys, but it's mostly guys. There's a whole slew of guys who believe that if there's no communication going on in the marriage, that means everything is going well. That's not true. It just means you haven't figured out what's going on in the relationship. And instead of creating a map, what happens is you can disconnect And sometimes you can disconnect for years, and you don't know this, but that person is changing, and the map has just changed on you. And what you thought you understood and knew is now not there anymore. And you wake up 20 years later and you're like, I don't even know this person, why? How did that happen? Because you let the map change and you didn't find out what was going on. You know one of the great ways to find out what's happening in somebody's life? When they have an argument with you, the light ought to go off in your mind that they're about to reveal something that I can put on the map. I can, I can understand why they're upset about this. And when I understand why they're upset about this, this helps me understand how to navigate with them. But instead of doing that, we want to win. And we'll win at any cost. And so instead of learning something and filling out the map, we just brutalize each other. Listen, this, this ought to show up and you having date nights and you having times where you can sit and just talk with each other about important stuff, where you learn about each other's day and as the map changes, you keep adjusting and keep changing. You ought to know your spouse better than anybody else in the world, better than their parents, better than their best friend. You ought to know them the best That's going to require your time. But if you want to build a defense for your marriage, you'll do this because doesn't this sound like sacrificial love and respect and submission? Now, another thing the researchers have found has to do with the mindfulness that you have towards your spouse, what you choose to focus on. Now, I don't know what gets your focus. It could be that your focus is on um, something that we're going to watch on the side screen. See if this is the kind of stuff that you think about when you think of your spouse. What?
1: Stop smacking your gum, Waldo.
2: Yeah, it's real funny. It's
1: going to be funny when I find you and
0: I murder you.
2: First round, linebacker. Okay,
0: can, like, you, can you just hang on a sec? Well, just let me finish this email,
2: okay? Well, everybody's like, what? Because they thought they were going to get the quarterback, Bo Callahan, but they don't get him, right? And, like, he
1: wouldn't say to come on with like, tail of mine, You'd, like, look good at
2: any kind You of know I can't hear you, right? Everything you're saying, I can't hear.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Am I annoying you?
2: No, it's just that if you want to have a conversation, come in here. Okay. Turn around, look at my dance. Ready? It's really good. One, two, three, go. bam, 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 bam. Bump, one, two. That guy let himself go.
0: You let yourself go.
2: Hey. Kiss me. No.
1: Come on, kiss me. No, that's... You love me. Kiss me, you love me. No,
2: you got too real. You're gonna need to get in the other lane.
0: Please don't backseat drive.
2: shake a 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 shake 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 shake
1: shake 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 shake
2: And you missed the turn.
1: Why didn't you say something?
2: You told me not to backseat drive.
0: I gotta dance. Goes like this. I gotta dance.
1: Stop it! Like... Stop it! <sighs> I gotta dance. Whose party is this?
2: Dave and Monica from work. What's it for? I think it's like a baby shower or something.
1: You think it's like a baby shower or something? Did we bring anything?
2: Do you bring stuff to those? my here's the truth we all do stuff to annoy each other right and what the researchers have found is if you're not careful and that's what you give your focus to if your mindfulness is on the stuff that the other person does to irritate you you preload yourself with um in in, like you're ready to go with criticism because you're already ticked off the fight starts hot because you've been thinking about all the negative stuff they've done and all the negative stuff they do. And it's right there on the surface. And so you get fast. You're, you're, you get angry fast and your criticism just rolls because that's on your mind versus if you thought of the positive things that were in that relationship, if you thought of the positive characteristics, they would say it this way. If you can think of the things that you're fond and you admire in that other person and that's what becomes your focus, what happens is you see their character as positive. You see other gifts that they have as positive. And when you run into a conflict, the conflict doesn't define that person anymore because you've been thinking positively about them, this is just a moment that must be solved right now, and so you find a way to solve it, and then you go back to the positive thoughts. But if you're having negative thoughts, and that conflict happens, all that does is reinforce what you thought about that person, and the negative just takes over. You want to know how dangerous this is? They've discovered that when you decide to go negative, When you give your thoughts to what's negative, you will start to go back and change every story, every experience that you've had with that person, all the way back to when you met them. And you'll retell your meeting. Like, you know how you you tell your meeting now? It's like, oh, I saw my wife. I thought she was hot. I was like, man, we got to meet. But, you know, you tell a story like that. Instead, it goes like this. I saw them, I thought they were good-looking, but boy, they were an idiot. I don't know what I was doing, but I just I went down that road anyway. You're like, that's the story that got you interested in getting married in the first place? What happened? What happened is negativity took over, and it started to reshape everything all the way back. Why do you think Paul in Philippians said, listen, you should be careful what you think about You should be mindful of the spiritual things. It's 4-8. Let's put that up. You should be careful of the things that you think about because your thoughts are powerful. And when you choose to think negatively about your spouse, every conflict you have reinforces that. And when the big one comes along, the big conflict, the difficult one, you don't think positively of them in the first place. In fact, you may be feeling contempt. And all it does is convince you that you've made a mistake and this person is the problem. But you have a choice. You've made a choice of what you decided to think about or not. So your thoughts matter. The other thing that matters is what you think love is. Now, there's been some material out on this for a long period of time, but I'm still shocked at the number of people who've not been exposed to this before. So let, just let me give it to you. It's real simple. Uh, there's a book out, and if you don't, haven't done, done it or gone through it yet, you should get it because you should understand how this works with your kids and relatives and, and coworkers. All this makes sense. That you grow up learning what love means to you in a certain way. It's based on your personality, it's based on your family, it's based on all kinds of things. And it shapes how you feel loved. This person over here grows up in a different way, with a different family, God knows this, and they have a different view of what love is. And then God, for some reason, puts you together, right? And so this is what happens. Love for me is when my wife spends time with me quality time and wasted time i don't care right if we do nothing and she's just hanging out with me i love that my wife thinks wasted time is nuts and quality time better have a pretty good reason and an end date in mind because she has projects to do right that that's not love to her love to her she grew up thinking Love is words of affirmation. It's when you talk with me. She talks a lot. Right? She talks when I'm reading books. She talks when I'm watching the Notre Dame game. The woman talks when we're exercising. Right? I'm trying not to die. I am breathing as hard as you can be. And she's like, what's that smell in the field? I'm like... I don't care. Why are we talking about this? Right? And when I respond that way, she thinks, You don't love me. And when I want her to spend time with me, and she doesn't want to waste her time, I think, You don't love me. And we were two people who got married, loved each other, got married, and then passed each other constantly because we had different understandings of what love was. And because I didn't understand her love language and she didn't understand mine, we couldn't make sacrifices for the other person. But see, as soon as you know this is what they expect, this is what they need in order to feel loved, it's going to go against every grain in your body because you think if I do the stuff that makes me feel loved to them, they should be fine, and it doesn't work that way. You actually have to make a choice of sacrifice to then love that other person. Do you you understand? This is God's formula. This is his keys for oneness and unity. But if you don't understand how they want to be loved, you can't pull it off. So it matters what they think love is and it matters what you think love is and it matters how you're sacrificing for each other. Another uh, thing that researchers have found was in that song that we heard at the top. It said, uh, we turn to each other. And this idea of turning to each other is done in small ways. It always starts in small ways, but it builds to bigger and more important things. It, it, um, it's a habit where you learn to respond and show that person respect in the smallest of ways. Uh, when we got married, I was, I was awful at this. I have now moved up to terrible, which I'm pretty happy with my progress um, over time. Uh, but it had to do with the fact that my wife loves to talk a lot. Like, she'll talk a lot. And in order to turn to her and show her that I respect her, when she would say something to me, she's in the like kitchen and she says something about, I don't know, the eggs she's cooking. I don't care about the eggs, right? But she says something about the eggs. If I will stop watching the Notre Dame game, if I will put down the book or the computer or the phone and simply turn to her and acknowledge what she said, What that does, it communicates that you are the most important thing to me, not all this other stuff. Man, it's hard for me sometimes. But it's the smallest thing because what you're doing is you're training for bigger things. When you learn to turn towards each other, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge what you say. I'm going to do that. What happens is you start to develop the habit of turning towards each other for bigger things. When my wife comes home stressed from work, I want to be the person that she turns to. I want to find a way to help her deal with that. But if I've been treating her by ignoring her, it's a form of stonewalling where she says something and I just ignore it because I don't want to respond to it. I've communicated disrespect to her, and she doesn't think of coming to me to solve that. She's having a difficulty with her family. Does she turn to me or not? You want to become each other's support. So as the stuff starts happening, you become naturals at just turning towards each other, turning towards each other. What they found is that if you start with the small stuff and you develop into the other stuff, what happens when the big stuff comes along, because you've developed habits, what you do is you immediately turn towards each other, and you hold on tight, and you get through whatever you're up against. Without it, you'll turn to somebody else. You'll develop an emotional attachment with somebody else who's starting to fill that gap, that need that you have. You'll you'll end up having an emotional affair, you'll have a real affair, where somebody else captures your attention. Why? Because you didn't practice turning towards each other in the small things and in the bigger things where you became the primary support for that person. Now here's what's fascinating. If you develop this idea of turning towards each other, there's another layer to it that's even deeper and more important. Because the truth is, um, God knows, he does this, he gives me a personality, he gives me a different background, he gives me different values, and he places me with somebody who has a different personality Different background, different gifts. And what I just described to you is God's incredible growing plan for you for the rest of your life. If you're willing to turn from each other and let each other influence each other. This is, it's terrible. It's terrible when it's only one person who thinks that the other person has to do all the changing I'm going to be inflexible. You do all the changing. You do all the stuff that I want you to do. That's not the kind of relationship God had in mind. What he had in mind is that two people would find a way to influence each other and help each other along. You'll end up being flexible where you were never flexible before, seeing a different side of the story that you had never seen before, being more loving and gracious than you had ever been before. Uh, My wife grew up in a family, that if she was late, there were really harsh consequences, and she faced those a lot. And when she graduated and moved out on her own, she decided, I have freedom. I'm going to do whatever I want, and that's be late. And so she shows up late to everything, right? I grew up believing that 10 minutes early is on time, And God thought it would be funny to put us together, right? Now before I learned her backstory of why she was choosing to be late, why that was happening there, what I said was you're lazy, you're disrespectful, you're, and I use you statements with extremes, and I condemned her for that. And it was only after I got the love map filled out and I understood the backstory of why that was such a big deal for her, the sense of freedom of not being punished for this thing, and that I was doing all of that over to her again, that we started making compromises. So there are certain things that Tracy is on my time zone on. If we're gonna go catch an airline, she's on my time zone. She made me late for a wedding once, she's now in my time zone for weddings, right? Not cool. And there are other things like that where she just knows When I say we're leaving at this time, and by the way, I've given her like a thirty-minute countdown—twenty-five more minutes, twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, ten minutes—I'm doing that. Why? Because we're leaving right here. All right, and she knows that's what has to happen. But in other other times, when we're going to meet a couple or a group or something like that, I accept that we're going to be late. Hey, this is really important for you to understand. I still hate it. With every ounce of my being, hate it. I just happen to love her more, and it's not worth a fight. When we go on vacation, would I make a plan for each day to make sure we maximize the time and got everything done so it would be great and fun and enjoyable? Yes, <laughs> I do. Does she want to have that plan be as flexible and changing as possible? (laughs) Yes, she does. And when we're on vacation, that's exactly what happens. Because I understand where she's at and why she feels that way, so there has to be flexibility on my part. And so we have figured out how to take these things that are really different She will never want to be on time in her life. Even on the stuff where we arrive 10 minutes early because she's on my time zone, we'll get there and she will say in the car, I hate being early. Every time. It gives me joy. Um, And every time that we're late, I'll say, I hate it but I'm responsible for how I respond, and so is she, and we've decided that our responses on this issue will actually help us grow instead of tearing each other apart. You have the same opportunities over and over and over again, and when you decide to turn to each other and influence each other, you decide that person is worth a level of respect that you would adjust and change for Why? Because that's what sacrificial love and submission and respect do. They cause you to make those kind of changes. Now now here's the thing. It, it, It may be some that we just talked about. It may be other things that you have to do to start building a defense. To start reinforcing mutual submission, sacrificial love and respect in your relationship. you've got to take their blinders off and start going, what is it do I have to do? I've been on cruise control. It might be time that I've got to start turning towards her, showing up, telling her exactly what I'm thinking, letting her tell me exactly what she's thinking. I've got to fill out a map. I've I've got to figure out how to communicate love to her because she says I don't, and I do, but it may be that you're not speaking in the right language, And you've got to start doing the stuff that defends your relationship because winter is coming. So we're going to talk about it next week. There is going to be a big conflict. There's going to be a moment where it feels like your relationship is caught in winter where you look around and it looks like death And you're not really sure if you're going to survive it or not. So I want to talk to you about some of the stuff that you really need to understand when winter comes. But you need to understand this first. You ought to be building a defense now. Primarily, are you open to letting God direct and shape the direction of your life? Secondarily, there are things that you could do to practice that. To help you out on the table, the couples table, um, where they're signing up for a couples retreat, you should really think about that. But on that table, there are some pamphlets that I put on there that are exercises. If you're wondering, how do I help change my focus to fondness and admiration? You can take an exercise and look at it. This is the kind of stuff they're handing out to couples who are in difficulty. If you're, if you're wondering, uh, I don't know my love language, there's a survey out there that you can take. Take it with each other. Figure out your love languages and start talking about it. If you've never done a personality test with each other, there's a sheet out there that gives you a website to go to. Go, both of you take that and have a conversation. Start filling out your love map. Start understanding this person and how they're shaped and what God's doing with them so that you can respond in a way that defends your relationship because winter is coming let me pray God you have these grand ideas for us and sometimes they seem so big and so daunting that we don't know where to start or what to do I ask this morning that um, we would start by listening to you What is it that you see in our lives that we need to adjust, that we need to pay attention to that could strengthen our relationship, that could help us defend it from when the big stuff comes along? God, we want to be a community of marriages that honor you. And yet sometimes when we're far away from that, it feels like it's daunting. But I just ask that you would help us listen to you and respond, take that step, then the next adjustment, then the next adjustment, until we've built a defense for our relationships. God, in truth, some of the stuff that we were talking about today is exactly what needs to happen between some people and you. That they've not, they've not built up a relationship with you, they don't know how you love, they don't turn to you, And yet they still expect when the bad stuff happens that something will still work out and everything will be okay. And God, it may be that some people here need to reevaluate what kind of relationship they have with you. I ask that your spirit would do that work amongst us. Pin us down. Show us. This is what I need from you. God, give us the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Could you please stand and sing this last song with us? as you have loved us. to so love each other. It's hard, it's messy, it's, it's scary, and it's risky. And I pray that we would know that we're not slaves to fear because you, you came for us, you gave your life for us, so that we never have to be afraid because we are part of your family, that you do everything and all things for us. God, help us to go out and to live for you. Our marriages and all our relationships and know that you are with us and you are for us. That God, you will always make a way for us. We trust you and believe you. Just thank you so much for who you are and what you've done and all that you have for us. Of us to believe it. We pray this in your name.